I want to talk to you this morning. By the way, I want to introduce my wife, Virginia. Would you stand up? Would you stand up? We've been together for 44 years and um, looking forward to uh, many more together. So this morning, you need to pay attention because you're going to have homework. And... Uh, and it's really important that you do it. But I want to talk to you this morning about understanding spiritual formation. And uh, when Jesus told his disciples, he said, I want you to go and make disciples. Uh, one, of the, one of the principles of interpretation is the original listeners would have had, the way we interpret it, okay, this is what that means, that would have been what they understood. So if you just said, to the disciples, well, discipleship is getting together once a week and, you know, discussing a topic. That's discipleship. They would kind of look at you like, what? Now, that doesn't mean that as you're discipling someone, you can't do that. I'm just saying that's not all it is. I mean, they just spent three years with Jesus. He encouraged them. He rebuked them. He gave them responsibility. They never did anything by themselves. That's a really important principle to know, even when they went to get a donkey, which I don't think... I mean, if a donkey's not going to go, he's not going to go with two. He would, he, if he's not going to go, he's not going to go with one, and two's not going to make a difference. Maybe one guy could help if the other guy got kicked. Uh, but even when he sent his disciples to get a donkey, he sent two. And in the Trinity, you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and when, when the apostles went and fulfilled the, the Great Commission, which we're going to read here in just a second, they planted churches. And they did it in team, meaning they did it in a group. And they did it, um, and they, they built communities that uh, exemplify what it means to know the Father. So it's really important for us to understand spiritual formation, which is a term that I've heard probably in the last 10 years. When I was uh, a Christian early in my life, I never heard this. Um, Virginia and I were very legalistic when we first got married, and uh, our life was more about what you couldn't do than what you could do. So you don't, there was a saying when I was a kid, you don't drink, smoke, or chew, or grow with girls that do. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, we were just, you know, there's certain music, we couldn't listen to certain music, go to certain shows, read certain books, you know, and it's pretty much, it was an us and them mentality, you know, we're the good guys, and if you're not one of us, you're the bad guys. And um, fortunately, God set us free from that and began early in our marriage to teach us about grace and, and, and just how much God loves us and accepts us and we stand in Christ at his right hand. So here's um, what I want you to think about. You're going to influence people's lives. Every, every person in here is going to influence people's lives. Not everyone in here is going to lead a church of 1,000 or 5,000 or go over. and. But every one of us can influence people's lives. And the reason that's important is, is because 
you never know the individual that you're influencing. I mean, you could be influencing Moses or a David or a Ruth or a Peter or John. And so Jesus is, he says to us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came to them and said, that's cool, I'll get that up there. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that's a really important statement because he's getting ready to tell them something, but it's based on the fact that he has all authority. Satan does not have all authority, and the only way he has authority in your life is if you believe a lie and let him rule in that part of your life. It's kind of like on, in baseball, you, you're on first, you're safe. And if you get off the bag and the first baseman has a ball, he can tag you and you're out. Well, the enemy likes to establish bases in our life, which are lies that we believe, that give him access to our lives. And transformation is actually removing those bases, those lies that we have believed, and walking in the freedom that actually Jesus gives us. And so based on that authority, he says, go therefore, now that's to every Christian. That's not to Ben and the other elders. That's not to people that are called to go overseas to other countries. That's all of us. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, which means we have to do it. People who make disciples are disciples because you can't become a disciple. You can't disciple someone else when you yourself have not been discipled. And behold, I'm going to be with you even to the end of the age. Uh, let me almost share something with you. I, I was actually with the guys in Mozambique. I shared this with the teachers there. And after I shared it with them, it never happened. So I'll explain that to you. Uh, in 2017, I had three strokes. I had one in July. Actually, I had one three weeks after we got back from Mozambique. And I'm really grateful that I didn't have one in Mozambique. Um, then I had one in September. And then one, I had one in October. And uh, it's, uh, I had blockage in the back of my head, the vertebral artery. And... Uh, so I've lived, obviously, but uh, one of the things that happened, I w I've always been fairly sentimental. I was with Jamie and the elders, their wives, last night, and I found out Jamie's sentimental. And, uh, and I've always been, you all know that, don't you? I've always been fairly sentimental, and it's, it's good for me to see other guys that are like that. Uh, but after I had my strokes, I like just would cry uncontrollably. I mean, at TV commercial, <laughs> I thought, that's all right, just under enlightenment. Um, and I mean, just anything. In fact, I asked my, my, my doctor about it and they said, well, when you have strokes, it can affect your brain in, in that way. And, and so I, you know, I just want you to know, I may start crying at any minute. <laughs> now, I told the teachers in Nampula, and I, I, I did this for two days with them. I didn't cry once. And they probably thought, what was he talking about? So, that's a little add-on. Um, so, here's my story, guys. I was raised in a Christian home. I, I, my mom and dad were both Christians, very committed. Uh, my dad uh, 
went to World War II and he came back. He had a scholarship. He had, he, he had a scholarship to play at LSU. He played the first year, then World War II happened. And when he got back, he had an offer to go play uh, college ball at what was called Washita College, which is a small uh, AIC school in Arkansas. And he was not a Christian. And he said, I was there two weeks before I realized that Washita was a Baptist university. <laughs> and the way he found out is they were having two days before school started, and his jersey said OBC. And he asked the guy who happened to be the, the, the class president, he said, what does this B stand for on our jersey? And the guy says, it stands for Baptist. And he said, you mean I'm at a Baptist school? And I mean, he was a total heathen. And, uh, and so he played ball there three years and he actually got saved when he was there and very committed. Uh, and in the 60s, there was desegregation that finally happened in Louisiana. I grew up in Louisiana. And he was the uh, superintendent of schools. And so basically it was, they were all white, all black schools. And when they, they desegregated the schools, if everybody would have gone to the public school, it would have been about 50-50 uh, black to white. Well, <clears throat> the, the churches in East Carroll Parish got together and they built a private school for white people, uh, which is totally in the scriptures, right? Um, and, and they asked my dad to be the uh, principal. They didn't have a school board, but they wanted him to be the principal, which he turned down. And <clears throat> I was in junior high school, and, and he, he told us that we were going to continue on. And so I went from a school all white to eight, one, eight to one black to white. And most of those people did not like me uh, because I was white, and with good reason. And um, so... Even though, I mean, I would say that would have been a pretty big deal for a junior high guy. All of his friends go to the private school. He's in a public school where there's hostility and uh, fights were a regular occurrence. Um, and, but not once did he ask me how I felt about this. And so in my family, there was zero nurturing. Emotions didn't matter. They weren't, they didn't have a high value. And neither was my mom. So I, I can never remember my parents say, hey, how, do you, how are you doing with this? It was just, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what God wants us to do. You just do it. And uh, no, you know, no, there's no conversation. It's just, here's the orders. You take them and you fulfill them. And... Um, I mean, it, here's how bad it was. So one time I locked my, I, after, after school, I would go out and go deer hunting because I played on the basketball team. The girls practiced first, we practiced at night. So I could go deer hunting, change clothes, go out, hunt, come back, get. Well, one night I locked my keys in the Bronco and couldn't, I mean, I, so I just had to walk to the nearest house and get help and uh, came home and, and my dad like was irate that I would 
lock my keys in the car. Well, the next week, I come home, he has this recliner, he's sitting there, my mom's sitting there talking to him, and she starts laughing. And I said, well, what's going on? And uh, she said, well, ask your dad. And he was kind of hem-hawing around, and uh, he said, well, today I went to work, and I got out of the car, had my keys in my hand, and this monkey jumped out of the tree and grabbed my keys and showed them in, threw them in the car and shut the door. Now, that was as close as an apology as I ever got. I mean, he never said, I'm sorry. You know, Fonzie had a hard time in Happy Days saying he was sorry. Well, he wasn't even close to Fonzie. Um, and so, that was just, that, that was a home. So, fast forward. Um, and my dad never apologized to me about anything. He ne I never heard the words, I'm sorry. So fast forward, I meet Virginia, blind date, 10 months later, we get married. And uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but that's what we did because we didn't have anybody helping us. And uh, so when we got married, she said to me, I don't want to have a relationship like your mom and dad. Because basically... They had a marriage that they fulfilled roles, and so he was the dominant, she was the helper, you know, and that seemed to work for them. I love my parents. I'm grateful for the heritage I have. But, I, but to, to actually be transformed, you've got to realize what, what is my past? What, what did, where I, did I come from? I can't just shut it out and act like it didn't exist. And uh, so I understood that. She wasn't real comfortable around my dad. He was pretty uncomfortable to be around. He's super quiet and moody. And uh, so and, I, and, and so I said to her, well, I don't want to have a relationship like your mom and dad. Because her mom was super controlling. I mean, her dad did everything she wanted except during duck season. <laughs> duck season, he would go duck hunting whenever he wanted to, even on Thanksgiving Day. But I remember the first time she got mad at me he, he's talking to me and he says, Carl, if you're going to be part of this family, you just got to understand this is how Miss Carter is. He called her Miss Carter. And uh, so, how, but yet those four people had the most influence on our formative years. They say 80% they say of your character is developed by six years old. And, uh, and that we... Psychologists say we tend to forget 90% of the stuff that's bad that's happened in our life. We just try to push it aside. But the reality is Satan is wanting to destroy us. And uh, um, if he can't keep us from getting saved, he at least wants to keep us from being effective. And we have to understand um, spiritual formation so what Virginia and I realized is, well, we need to find other people who have a healthy marriage and ask them for help. And so for all of our lives, and I, I'm, I'm not actually sure how we came up with that idea, but for all of our lives, we have been involved in relationships where here are people we want to be like. You know, and the first couple was Rick and Linda Gale Shepherd, and they lived right there on the corner from us. They went to the same church we did. They had, we felt like they had a really good relationship. And so we just began to build a friendship with them. It wasn't like a counseling 
session. It was a friendship, and out of that, we could ask questions, and, and they could influence in our life. And I could just name. Uh, there's people still that we would talk to uh, because the reality is transformation stops when you die. And so nobody's done yet. And um, um, so... Uh, but the, here's the thing. Our family of formation. So if you were raised in a Christian home, you know, our kids, for example, have basically only known churches like this. They grew up in a New Frontier church, which now is Confluence, and they are still part of those. But here's the reality. Virginia and I, while we were parenting, we were not fully transformed yet. And there's things in their life that they have to deal with because we were, if, if we could go back, we can't go back, but if we could go back, we'd do them differently. And, uh, and we're seeing our kids actually do a better job than we are. And so you've got to know your story in order to understand being transformed. So here's a question. Are you aware of your past? And I'm not saying... You know, oh yeah, you could tell, but I mean, are you really aware of your past? My brother is a life coach, and I've actually, we've talked a lot, and he's been very helpful. And he actually told me one day, he said, well, every coach needs a coach. We all need someone helping us. And one of the things that we've discussed is we experience things in our life. So one day, he was helping a friend at a tomato stand, and they had a boat. We lived on a lake, and they drove down to the Chippewhoy, and got ice cream, my brother got back in the boat without the guy knowing it. He starts the boat. It was an outboard, 10 horsepower. And you can start those in forward. And the boat takes off. He's out in the lake. It throws him out of the water. I mean, throws him in the water, and the boat's going around in circles. Well, back at the ranch, my father is going fishing with Mr. Hicks. And they put the boat in, and they come out of this inlet, and they go to this tunnel, and there my brother is, in the water, with this boat going around him. And uh, needless to say, well, my dad actually didn't spank him. I asked him, did dad spank you? He said, no, he's too mad. He thought he'd kill me. And uh, so he, the one time in our lives, probably didn't get a spanking. But here's the thing. We, we told that story to one another, and we remembered it differently. And one of the things that my brother said is, Oftentimes you talk to, to your siblings and you don't remember the story the same. And, which does not mean one of you is lying, one of you is telling the truth. It just means we see things differently, we experience things differently. And um, so do you know, you know your past? Growing up, there's two, two ways the enemy attacks us. There's something called projected laws. So those would be laws that people put on you. So I have a, a friend that I was helping through this, and, and we, were, we got to this part in, <clears throat> in, in the work, and, and he, he said to me, he goes, you know, my sister always told me I was stupid. And I believed her. I believed that I was stupid, and I would always try to do things to prove I wasn't stupid, which are called survival laws. So there's projected laws that people put on us and then there's survival lies that we come up with but who's behind all of that is Satan. Now, Satan doesn't show up in a 
red suit with pointed horns and a pitchfork. He actually comes as an angel of light. And he comes in, and when you have something difficult that happens to you, he lies to you. He tells you lies. But we don't always recognize, oh, I believe those lies. Well, being transformed, which Romans tells us we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, being transformed requires, oh, this is how I think. But this is what Jesus says. This is what the scripture says. And my thinking needs to be transformed. Now, oftentimes, what, we, what happens to us is something happens and we feel a certain way. But those feelings are rooted in thoughts. So, one, uh, Virginia and I are, are, are quite different. We have, we have a saying, better together. Uh, we have, we, our strengths and weaknesses complement each other. Uh, and sometimes do that. But uh, she, uh, we, we went through a situation, I can't even remember what it was. And she asked me, she goes, so how do you feel about that? And I mean, I listened, I said, I don't feel anything. And she said, no, you have to feel something. Now, I, I was taught all my life not to feel. I was taught that my feelings weren't important. And guess what? I'd learn to live life void of feelings unless I got really mad and then they were not so pretty. Um, and, and so she said, you have to feel something about this. I said, I ain't got to. <laughs> but what I realized is and in that conversation, which wasn't the first one we'd ever had, I realized here's what Here's what I'm thinking. And I, I begin to process that. And uh, I'm learning to ask the question, how do I feel about that? And uh, it's really helped me. It's helped me in how I respond to other people. It's helped me in, in how they respond to myself and how I take that. Um, but we've got to recognize we don't just come from our family of formation and go forward. And, and there's a saying, Peter Scazzario, who wrote the book, uh, Spiritually Healthy, Emotionally Spiritual, I don't know how you say it. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. also wrote Emotionally Healthy Church first. But uh, he says that um, oftentimes we have to go back in order to go forward. So I had to go back to figure out how I felt. And we can have current situations where we react to a situation, but the reality is it has nothing to do with that situation. It's just a reminder of what had happened in our past that's never been resolved. It's, there's a base that the enemy has that he can stand on, and he influences our life. Um, and uh, Proverbs, when it, is, it really addresses this. It says in Proverbs 12, 15, um, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. This should be, this, this principle should be true with every believer in this church. And what the principle is, I need help. God, I am a member of a body, 
And God has given these one another verses like love one another, forgive one another, care for one another. And, and those are written to the church, not to the church at large, but they're written to local congregations. And, uh, and so I've, I've got to learn to seek counsel. Virginia and I were, in, or were desperate enough that, I mean, she was fearful that we'd become like her, my mom and dad. And I don't want that. I was fearful that we'd become like her mom and dad. I don't want that. And uh, so what are we going to become like? Well, you're not going to make it alone. There are no Lone Rangers in the Christian community. <clears throat> and if you are a Lone Ranger, you're extremely unhealthy. Because God's made you to be part of the church. He's made us to be a family. He's made us to need one another. So Proverbs tells us that we're to seek counsel. Um, he says that in 12, 15 and also in 19, 20. He says, it says it in a lot of other places, but it says, listen to advice. I mean, that didn't take a lot of theology to know what that means, right? Listen to advice. And that didn't mean just hear it. That's not listening. It actually is applying it and anticipate instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. So Virginia and I, when we were been married about three years, uh, I'd taken a job working at a church, making a huge lump amount, $16,000 a year. We had $9,500 in debt because I'd had an accident that almost cut my right arm off. And uh, it was primarily medical bills. And we were pregnant. Well, she was pregnant, but I'm, I'm part of that. And no health insurance. Okay, zero health insurance, $16,000 a year, $9,500 in debt. And we were looking to buy a brand new car. I mean, makes sense, right? Makes sense till you say it. Um, all out loud. And so we actually got approved for a loan. I mean, it's amazing. In, this, in our world today, the way you fix your financial problems, you borrow more money. Um, but so we, we actually got approved. I had, or we, were, we had a 96, or a 1967 Mustang that had been redone. Why what? Why did you need any? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Well, yeah, that's it. Uh, I mean, none of this makes sense. You know, when you when you do stupid stuff, it doesn't make sense, except to you at the time. And so we'd been looking, and we had decided this is the family car we were going to buy. We were going to buy a brand new Toyota Celica GT. So. I still, we still owed money on the Mustang, and obviously we we're going to borrow more money, and we had a baby coming, and so right before we bought the car, I told Virginia, I said, I'm, she was in Louisiana or the parents, I said, I'm going to go over and talk to Bob Anderson, and I, I just thought, Bob seems to handle his finances pretty good. You never want to go to a broke guy for this kind of counsel. I said, Bob seems to handle his finances pretty good, and I'm going to go talk to him, see what he thinks, and... So after about 45 minutes, this is what we concluded. We would get on a budget. 
And what that means is you write down every dollar you, you're going to spend before you spend it. And then you write down what you spend during the month. And that at the end of the month, you balance your checkbook, which I know some of you actually don't know what that is. But you balance your checkbook and you make sure what you have on paper is equal to what you have in the bank. I mean, pretty that, that sounds simple, but it's amazing how complicated that is for people to do that. So we, we, he said, you got to do that. You got to sell your car. You got to sell my Mustang. I got to pay cash for a car, which only left me with $1,100. And our goal would be to have the doctor and hospital paid off when Heather was born. Well, the, the day Heather was born, the doctor was paid for. And we, this is just one of those stories. So we go into the doctor's office the next week. We didn't know the guy until we came in to see him with Virginia being pregnant. So we came in, and we're talking to him. Oh, well, in the hospital, and we're talking to him, and he says, talks about our financial situation. He says, well, I feel like God has told me not to charge you for Heather. And he said, so, yeah, don't worry about it. And I said, well, I said, actually, we've already paid you. So he said, well, next week when you come in, there'll be a check for you. So you, how many of you have gone to the doctor and gotten a check? Okay. Well, maybe you need to get on a budget. And, uh, <laughs> and so we go in, and we thought, well, you know, it's three trimesters. It'll be the last third. And, but it was for the whole amount. And it, it gave us enough cash to pay for the hospital. So when Heather was born, no hospital bill. And we actually paid that $9,500 off in about nine months. And we're still doing a budget. We still write down, we, we, we've become techie now, we're actually using an app. Uh, <laughs> but we're using an app that's very much like how we did it on paper. And I've, I've seen, I mean, I've seen this, guys. I've heard, I've, I've talked with, about finances with people and think, yeah, I'm gonna get on the budget. But they don't ask for help. Oh, how do you do your budget? Could I meet with you once a month? And, and guess what? They never get on it. I've never met a person who tries to do it by themselves and actually do it. Well, we need to be a church that models what it means to be a disciple. It's his money. They're his kids. It's our, it's his, he's over our marriage. And so therefore, I need help. How do I know that? Because the Bible says it. I need help. And learning to walk in the things that God has for me. In order to think differently, I've got to be honest about where I am, which is why we believe so strongly in grace. Listen, you're messed up. I just want you to know. I'm messed up. I was, I, you know, we're messed up. But we're covered with the blood of Jesus. We're seated at the right hand of God. And He fully accepts and loves us. And if you, really, if you ask Him to give you revelation about that, you'll feel better. Because He does. I mean, Vic, uh, Vic wrote that scripture this morning about God's love. So transformation comes not by having a quiet time. The Pharisees had quiet times. Not by learning theology. Here's how I have a better marriage. It comes by understanding how you think and asking the Holy Spirit to change and to renew your thinking. I used to think this way, but I repented and I started thinking this way. 
I used to think, oh, nobody lives on a budget. You know, it's just that's just the way life is. I can always borrow money. No, actually, it all belongs to God. I'm supposed to spend it the way He wants to. I'm giving supposed to be a part of who I am, and uh, that's different. I mean, we think differently than we did 44 years ago, and we're super grateful for that. Transformation comes by the mind being renewed. Jesus spent time with God. I mean, you read the scriptures, he was away. There's clearly a relationship there. But he wasn't dependent upon that time to make him into the person God called him to be. It was the relationship that he had. And so I had a friend who would, I realized he was boasting, but he would say, I've read the Bible every day since I've become a Christian, but once. One day I didn't. And so he would harp on that. And he got a divorce. And his family was broken. And affected four children. And, you know, the Pharisees had a quiet time. But they stood in front of Jesus and they had read the scriptures about him. And they didn't know who he was. So here's, here's your homework. Okay? I want you to get together with someone... I would prefer it to happen this week. If I was a school teacher, it'd be an assignment. You have to bring that assignment back next week, but I can't really do that. Um, but I want to give you a home. Here's, here's your homework. I want you to sit down with someone, someone that you would think, okay, I'd like to be like them. I'd, not just your buddy who's in the same ditch you're in, you know, Someone who's not in the same ditch. You know, I don't, I'm not sure if I'd have gone and talked to somebody and they'd have said, hey, just borrow more money. Buy the, buy the, the, the Toyota, you know. It'll all work out. Uh, there's a saying that when you make a good financial decision, it feels bad at the moment. But down the road, it feels really good. And if you make a bad financial decision, it feels really good at the moment. But it feels really bad down the road. So your assignment is, is to get with somebody who you think, okay, this per- I want to be like this person. I feel like they're kind of modeling what I'd like to become. And tell them your story. Your story of origin. What was your family of origin like? Now, here's the problem that we face. To go back, we have to face the very pain that we've been trying to avoid for the last 30 years, or 40 years, or 50 years, however old you are. We, we try to avoid that pain. I mean, but to go back, we have to face that pain. And we don't want to do that. I, I understand that. We don't want to do it, but the reality is what we're doing is we're coming to understand how I felt and we're asking the Holy Spirit to bring freedom in my life from that situation in order that I can walk forward and be healthy or healthier myself and help other people to be healthier. One of the things that Bob... um, Circa used to say he was an elder in our church in Lee Summit. He would say, 
if you if you walked in the shoes that that person that that you're upset with, if you walked in their shoes, you would probably be just like them. I mean, we all need grace. There's not good guys and bad guys. So here's something I learned about my dad when I was 40. He saw his mother murdered in front of him when he was 14. So just think about if you'd have seen your mother murdered when you were 14 right in front of you, how would that impact you? I mean, I've never gone through anything like that. But it helped me to understand, oh, okay. Actually, he was probably doing a better job than I would had I been him and walked in his shoes. So we need to receive grace and we need to give grace. But it's just important for you to start this process. It needs to become a routine in this church that we simply talk to each other about the things that we're facing. Hey, I'm... I thought I was doing pretty good when I had a three-year-old, but now they're four, and it's like I don't know who they are. They've changed, totally changed. And then they become teenagers. I mean, that's like a, you know alien from Mars. And, uh, but we can, tend to th- we can tend to think that way. No, actually, they're just growing up, and, and, and we, God wants to remind us that we need help. So... I just want to encourage you, guys, this is a practice that you should develop in your daily life. And uh, it'll make you healthier. It'll allow you, as you've been discipled, then you can disciple. I mean, who wants to go ask somebody from help who knows how to do everything? Never needed any help. I mean, that person's, that's Jesus. And sometimes we have a hard time understanding what exactly he's saying to us um, because of how we've been raised. So I just want to encourage you to make this a practice. Virginia and I still have people that we can talk to when we're going through difficulties. I know that might surprise you that, uh, that we go through difficulties as, you know, 44 years, but actually we do. She didn't always agree with me. I don't understand it. Uh, but... It just needs to be a part of our life. So I want to encourage you, encourage you to do that. We're going to, we're gonna, let's stand. We're going to have the worship team come up. We're actually, during this song, if you'd like prayer, there'll be a prayer. Where's the prayer team? Where do they go? Over here? Up front? Just, they're up front somewhere. And, uh, yeah. And so, yeah. Let me just pray for us and let's respond to him. Father, we just thank you <clears throat> for your goodness and faithfulness. And we thank you, Lord, that you suffered and died on the cross and was raised from the dead, that we could have life. And I just pray you'd help us. I just pray you'd help us to face our past so we can move in the future in a way that's encouraging and helpful to others. And I just pray you'd bring freedom in our lives. And uh, we just thank you for your word. We just ask these things in your name. Amen.